Hello listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Hacking History. I'm Mike. I'm Todd. And we're just a couple of history teachers that love to sit around and talk about history. Today we have a very interesting topic. It is Jane Addams and the Hull House. And uh, we're, we're a little bit off of our regular beat where we have been covering the different eras of American history and we're focusing on this one specific thing because Todd just got back from visiting the whole house and learning a whole lot more about it and um, he we just thought we had just shared that information today so Todd uh, did you have a good trip to Chicago I did it was uh, very cold I think they said the coldest since 1943 Um, naturally when I go but uh, it was a really good trip. Uh, we really enjoyed it. I went to see my daughter. She was uh, presenting at a conference there. And I was close enough to the whole house that I knew I had to go see it. Uh, it plays such a significant part of our history. And it is something that, uh, you know, we are, you know, instructed by our state to actually teach about. So mm-hmm. it is, uh, you know, something that we cover in our classes, and uh, it was really cool to get to see it. So it's kind of cool to get to talk about it today, too. Did you bring your coat? Uh, did I bring my coat? I packed a coat, a huge coat, that I had to shrink down into one of those airbags. Mm. Uh, and then I brought another jacket, and I thought, ah, I won't use that big one unless I need it. I had that big one out very quickly. I was using it very quickly, and uh, was grateful that I had it. I hear the, the windy city of Chicago uh, is, it can be, in the wintertime, brutal. Did you experience a lot of wind? Uh, yes, we did. You know, we talk about the Windy City and, you know, those in the know, and I like to quiz them as do they know why it's called the Windy City, and it's, you know, really about the politicians and, and everything <laughs> that they say. But there is a definite wind coming off that lake. Uh, I think one day the temperature was zero with a wind chill of a negative 14. Whew. And uh, actually it was sunny if you were out on one side of the building and you didn't feel the wind it wasn't too bad but you come around one of those corners and you feel that wind and it it bites it definitely has a bite to it i bet but i bet you were just so uh excited about going and visiting the whole house and learning about jane adams that you probably didn't even think about how cold it was right oh no my body felt it i know well um well todd just tell us tell us about it i i tell you when you came back and and, and you had emailed me some pictures. I was very impressed with the pictures and, and thought it was uh, really interesting. So I'm just gonna turn turn it over to you and, and hopefully I can interject something that would help and be interesting. Okay, well I'm gonna kind of blend it with some history I dug up on it. And we're talking about the whole house and we're talking about Jane Addams and you know, what what are we talking about when we say settlement houses? And typically these were places that were trying to help the immigrants who were coming in, the working class, the working class poor. Uh, this was a place for, you know, to be fed or to get an education. Um, a lot of these are, you know, during this period, and we were talking earlier about you know, the Salvation Army and the YMCA, uh, and the development of some of these places. And, and they were, very, you know, they were religious, they were Christian. Uh, this one was actually secular. And uh, Jane Adams is a founder of this one in Chicago. So a little background on it. 
the whole house itself was a, a mansion that was built by a real estate magnate named Charles Hull. Uh, it was around 1856, but in this part of town, uh, which was down on Halstead Street, by about 1889, that part of the neighborhood had gone, you know, considerably south as far as regards to having a mansion in that area, and he wasn't really using it. Uh, he ended up um, granting it to a niece, uh, Helen Culver, who in turn leased it to Jane Adams on a 25-year rent-free lease. Uh, we'll kind of get into the future history of it a little bit later, um, but you know, from there she takes it and she comes in it with a mission of you know helping the working class and the poor, and this is a great place to do it because it's right in the neighborhood. Uh, she had described in one book, you know, the three R's, uh, and for her, the three R's were residence, research, and reform. You know, these were efforts to try to help those in need. Um, you know, she herself is a very remarkable woman. Uh, it's pretty interesting to go through the house itself. Uh, it's a, you know, we, we had access to two stories. It was, uh, it looked like a three-story house. And the condition of it now, they've made it back into what it looked like in its early craftsman style at the uh, beginning of the 19th century, or 20th century. The, um, over time, it had become up to 13 buildings. Uh, spread all across like a like almost like a little campus of buildings and uh, by the 1960s the University of Illinois I believe it's the University of Illinois in Chicago but I think then they're calling the University of Illinois uh, Circle Campus they uh, take down all of the buildings except for two and this is one of them and then using photographs from the early part of the 20th century they bring it back to its original glory, because as you can imagine, a, a settlement house or something like this is meant to satisfy or help the needs of those in need, so the house changed, I'm sure, over time to meet those needs, but they brought it back to its original glory, or at least by the, you know, 1905-ish kind of time frame of it. So, so Todd, um, so just to kind of maybe clarify a little bit, uh, so we're talking 1889, mm -hmm. um, and that would have been the Gilded Age from one of our previous podcasts, but um, can, the conditions uh, in Chicago, from what I understand, were just really, really rough. Um, I think Chicago was described as being incredibly overcrowded, um, muddy. A lot of the streets weren't even paved yet. Um, the immigrants were coming in from all parts of Europe, but especially from eastern and southern areas of Russia, like Russia and other countries like that, Italy and so forth. And um, so you have just uh, a, a huge, an enormous amount of people coming in by the day. Uh, so we're talking about lack of sanitation, lack of, of clean drinking water, uh, shortages of places to live um, even though there it was a booming time of industry in America um, there were still a whole lot more people than jobs at the time absolutely so you know we've talked about the Gilded Age before and the huge urbanization of people moving into the cities the cities not being able to handle the growth 
And if you get online and Google some Gilded Age photos of city streets, I, I know there's a good one the kids I show, and they really kind of take to it, is a, a bunch of little kids playing around a dead horse laying in the middle of the street. Mm. And, and, you know, pictures of 12, 13, 15 people living in a very small, confined space, uh, lack of running water, you know, diseases spreading out. It was... These were not ideal conditions, and, and this is a kind of a refuge or opportunity in the middle of that to, uh, you know, have a safe place to come or have a place for these children to come and possibly get an education or, you know, learn some English or, you know, you know something. And these were needed by several groups, you know, ethnic-wise, and then we're not talking just about Chicago. You know, there were other cities, New York, uh, for an example, that were also experiencing this and this rapid growth and you got the industrialization we've talked about as well where the factory work and the long hours uh, the pay you know sometimes it requires the whole family to work just to make ends meet you know this is the big this is the big environment picture around here where this house is coming into play yeah so Jane Adams you have to admire this woman because you know she she was raised in a very from a very affluent family um, her father was John Huey Adams, and he was a state senator for 21 years. He was an officer for the Union Army during the Civil War, and even a friend of Abraham Lincoln. So, from what I understand, uh, she was the salutatorian from Rockford Female Seminary in Illinois. And that was back in the day and time where women had the choice, very few choices by the way, but the choice of are you going to be a career woman or are you going to you know, go and get married and have a family and that sort of thing. And she chose to be a career woman. So that kind of tells me a little bit about her personality. She was driven. Uh, she was intelligent. But she also, I think, was very ambitious about how she could change America. And, and so she... She picked a, a really poor neighborhood in Chicago and decided to rent this house right in the heart of the people that she wanted to help the most. And to me, that just says so much about her. You know, we, we have a lot of wealthy people um, that are very giving and very helpful, but and, and, and they don't mind signing the check, but it's another thing to jump right down in the middle of the action, especially in this type of situation where there's a tremendous amount of poverty and a, and a lot of need. And, and she just she just decided to, to build uh, the settlement house right in the middle of it. And, and she wasn't scared of that at all. She just rolled her sleeves up and, and just got busy. Absolutely. And, you know, to think of the time now, this is very much a male-dominated time. Women didn't have a lot of career options anyway. And, you know, it's, to me, very admirable to see some of the ladies uh, during this period that just, you know, went to town. I mean, they were beasts. And, and when you look at her resume, she was a beast in everything she accomplished. Uh, I, I printed out something just to kind of go over it. and. You know, you want to feel a little in your life and what you've done. You know, read read some of the things that Jane Adams has done in her life. You know, she founded the Settlement House. Uh, she uh, started a federation of settlements in Chicago. She became a garbage inspector uh, for.
for the 19th Ward. Became Vice President of National Women's Trade Union League. Served on the Chicago Board of Education. Helped, you know, in the founding of the NAACP. Uh, first woman elected to President of National Conference of Charities and Corrections. Uh, mediator in the Chicago Garment Workers' Strike. Uh, first VP of the National Association of Women's Suffrage. You know, that was another big thing. They were pushing, and that was a big push for her as well, as getting the women's right to vote. And, you know, which we will see in 1919. Uh, head of Federation Settlement Neighborhood Center, second in Theodore Roosevelt's nomination for president at the U.S. Progressive Party Convention. I know you'll like that because that's one of your favorites right there, <laughs> Theodore. Yes, uh, old Teddy. Uh, old Teddy. Uh, spoke at the 7th Congress of International Alliance of Women's Suffrage and Equal Citizenship in Budapest, Hungary. Helped organize Women's Peace Party. Uh, presided over the International Congress of Women at The Hague. Uh, founded Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. Helped found the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union. Presided over the Conference of Pan-Pacific Women Association. And, and I didn't get to see this too, she was the first American woman recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. And that is actually in the building. So that yeah. was kind of cool to get to see one of those. So when you sent me a picture of that, I noticed it was like a like a big, was it gold? It was like a big gold medal like a and big a gold in a, medal. Yeah, in a, in a glass case. In a glass case. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was really cool to see. They also have, you know, with somebody that is this active in these things, like NAACP, Women's Suffrage, ACLU, there's also an FBI file on her. You know, and the FBI is starting. You know, it's probably in its infancy around 1908, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, they. They had a thick file, and they had a copy of this file of all the things that they were watching with her because she, uh, in their mind, was a threat to them. So you think all these things that she's doing as being good things, but in that time and age, you know, if you're trying to help unions or you're trying to mediate a strike or you're trying to advance colored people or mm -hmm. you're trying to give women the right to vote, you know, there might be something wrong with you for doing that. I'd, I'd heard that uh, a lot of the factory owners didn't care for her too much because they enjoyed paying these little children and women just pennies to work 10 to 15 hours a day. And, of course, she kind of threw a whole wrench in that, in that deal. Um, I know she helped to get past the Factory and Workshop Inspection Act among everything else that you had just mentioned. And so... She wasn't reactive. She was also proactive in 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 making permanent change uh, to help all of these immigrants and and especially the women and the children. Um, from what I understand, there were some some labor unions that were act actually formed at the whole house. I don't doubt it. I, you know, to me, she would have been something to see in action unless you're on the other side and she's mm -hmm. coming at you and mm -hmm. that's probably where you did not want to be because it looked like uh, you know she was you know she knew how to use a wrecking ball yeah yeah she was so uh outspoken about peace um she was pretty uh passive when world war one broke out she believed in universal peace mm -hmm. and she never would uh let up from from that belief and I think that's what drew a lot of interest from the FBI too. Mm -hmm. The the, the anti-war or peace, you know, approach to it. And you know, as we've taught 
you know, this, we at the time, you know, we had a very isolationist mentality, and even Wilson's, you know, you know, second bid for election was he kept us out of war. Mm -hmm. You know, so mm -hmm. there's some irony in that that it was it was okay in that respect, but you know, once you know, once we're committed, everybody needs to be on the same page, and if you're not, you may be a threat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, did, I didn't mention Teddy Roosevelt also won a Nobel Peace Prize. Did, did I mention that before? No. Yeah, he, he did too, just just to throw that out there. I don't want to take away from Jane Addams, but I couldn't help but not mention that. Mr. Big, Mr. Big Stick got a Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sure did. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Yeah. But uh, I, I bet you Jane Addams kind of had the same theory too a little bit. Uh, yeah, it seems to be. I don't think you have this, you know, kind of momentum and success, and uh, you know, and you know, going back to what you said, you know, to come from her means and background and willing to immerse yourself into this, and not just write a check and, and then spend your life committed to these kind of actions and things in the effort to help those who are treated poorly or do not have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is so commendable and, and in so many ways kind of sad we don't see so much of that today. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely, I agree. You know, just to kind of get a mental picture of this, Jane Addams would be there in the Hall House and she could be teaching some immigrant children from, say, Lithuania or, or Poland or Greece how to speak English so that they could get along in, in Chicago and get along at a job place and so forth. And then a few minutes later, be helping to organize a labor union or meet with some congressional member or, you know, helping um, with talking to some head bosses of some big manufacturing company in Chicago about easing up on the conditions uh, of these immigrants and she just she had a lot of irons in the fire and and she was it seems incredibly successful in achieving so many of these uh, challenges that lay before and and you saying that there were books in the whole house that were written by people who who were there who were children you know who were you know directly impacted by her or her works and her efforts and you know to me that's something to see as well where you see you know we can talk about all this you know stuff on a resume but you know it's it's not as personal as seeing how it impacts the lives of people and you know there were some books about that about how the whole house you know gave them a chance or an opportunity or made them believe or you know or saved their lives entirely mm-hmm mm -hmm. um, you, now, did your oldest daughter go with you into the whole house, or was she? She was off doing yeah. her. Yeah, her well, thing. yeah, she got to go with me, and uh, we got to go through it together. And you know, she was, you know, pretty impressed too. She knew a little bit about it. Her her background is more art history, um, but uh, you know, she had a pretty good understanding of it before, but learned quite a bit by going in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did, um, did did you impress her with some of your other? history knowledge or to do she uh, she's listened to me for so long I don't know if there's much left for me to impress her <laughs> with but uh, but you know as I said her backgrounds art history so we did the art gallery there and 
then I got to see her present uh, in the thing. So to me, it was me, get, really a lot of it was me getting to be impressed by her because she is so knowledgeable in uh, her subject matter. And uh, the presentation she gave was uh, to college professors about uh, teaching millennials today and, and Generation Z and, you know, the dynamics that you and I face and we recognize you know, it still exists uh, as they get out of our age bracket and move into the college one. Those professors have the same struggles, you know, because it's a different, you know, learning process for these, uh, for this generation or generations. And and uh, she taught it to a full packed room. They were standing room only, uh, and she did an awesome job with that too. So it was really cool. To get I to bet see that was too. a proud moment. Yeah, to see that. Well, listeners, Todd's whole family are teachers. Uh, they have two daughters, and Todd's wife is a teacher uh, here at the high school, Spanish teacher. And so um, when you go home, I bet you hear a little bit about school and teaching and all that good yeah. stuff. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a late comer to it. I've worked in uh, the telecommunications industry for 23 years and then finally got the dust off my certificate and started teaching the last few years. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I'm for... As long as I've been married to a teacher, and I've been married to a teacher for over 30 years, mm -hmm. I've heard about teaching constantly and what's going on, and uh, I've had to be a shoulder for quite a while. So, you know, now, you know, we teach in the same building, so she can't tell me a whole lot I don't already know. So mm -hmm. actually, if anything, I hear less. Oh, that's it. That's you know, because she can't tell me a whole lot because mm -hmm. I've been there. But now we've got, you know, two grown daughters that do that, and uh, that doesn't mean we may not hear from one of them mm -hmm. about teaching, you know, so. Well, my, my wife is a teacher as well, uh, listeners, and she teaches fourth grade math here in the same little town. So we I do get to hear a fair amount of what's going on down at the elementary world. Um, and I, I used to teach elementary, taught fourth and fifth grade many, many years ago. And I tell you, I, uh, I I enjoy teaching high school. So I, I did enjoy teaching fourth and fifth grade, but, but I feel like I am in the right spot for sure, and especially teaching history. I, I love history, so probably always will. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, listeners, Todd and I have kind of established the fact that we're, we are history nerds, and... Uh, I think I know what that means. I think it, if you go do history things outside of the workplace for fun, like go to the whole house in Chicago and learn about Jane Addams and then come back and be so excited about it that you wanted to share about it on the podcast, that'd qualify as a history nerd. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'd do the same thing. So, you know, um, listeners, something that you might want to try if you haven't already is to, to pick up uh, the history books and and uh, look at one particular thing like Jane Addams in the Whole House, do a little research on it, and uh, or read a book about it, and then go to that location. And I think it just adds so much more. Uh -huh. Absolutely. And if if you look, up, you know, there's there's no matter where you're at, there's some history. You know, we live out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> literally out in the middle of nowhere. Yet there are some significant things that have happened, you know, very close to us from mm -hmm. early Spanish explorers who have crossed paths not, you know, 50 miles from here in the 1500s 
too early, you know, tribal settlements, you know, there's, there's history around you, uh, even if you're out in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, just try to look around and see and go, go experience some of it. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, doesn't take long to find something that's really interesting. Well, um, got anything else, Todd? No, I think we've probably winded out our, um, listeners pretty well here i think okay well listeners uh we want to encourage you to check out jane adams and the whole house to dig deeper into it and we sure do appreciate you listening in and we'll see you next time take care